Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is brought to you by Before, an incredible new self-care brand that just launched their first products, a line of purifying toothpastes. I'm obsessive about my teeth and brush them usually three times a day, so I'm super excited to be using Before. It ticks off many boxes of what a good toothpaste should be. Their custom supermint flavor actually tastes really good, and the consistency is silky, and at the same time, it doesn't leak out of the tube, which is a total pet peeve of mine. It's also non-abrasive, so it doesn't destroy your tooth enamel. All the harmful ingredients have been replaced by clean alternatives, and their custom blend of fluoride and dentist-approved ingredients totally promotes optimal mouth health. Before also deeply cares about our planet. Their tubes are made from 100% recyclable plant-based sugarcane and creates 50% less carbon footprint than traditional toothpaste tubes. As you all can tell from the show, I'm a huge fan of good, purposeful design, and let me tell you, the design and color palette of these are beautiful. The tube stands upright on your counter and makes your bathroom look minimal and chic. Visit their website, before.com, and enter the code CRAFT10, C-R-A-F-T-1-0, to receive 10% off your entire purchase. One-time use per customer. I'm a huge fan of what they stand for. You won't be sorry, and your teeth and the planet will thank you. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. Dean Morris is a very good man. It's a feeling you get immediately. He feels like the human version of an all-encompassing, welcoming hug. A longtime educator, he found his way to being a pastor, an athlete, and Lululemon ambassador, and now co-host of the podcast, A Little More Good. He grew up in Richmond on an acre property in the middle of the city. It was a quintessential childhood, running free and exploring the outdoors. He was always curious about how things worked and wanted to understand the world around him. In high school, His class was tasked to research their heroes, leading him to find leaders like Gandhi and Martin Luther King, both of whom looked up to Jesus as a guiding light. Religion was not a foundation of his household, but Dean had friends who were part of a church, and in his curiosity, and despite some skepticism, he met with a pastor to ask about Jesus. He started going to church with some wise words from his father, keep your brain turned on. When his parents divorced after his high school graduation, Dean went through a huge transformation within and began to truly understand the spiritual nature of who he was. He began working at church where he did some music and teaching and eventually went to seminary and got his master's in ministry leadership and culture. In this conversation, we explore topics from ownership versus belonging, his desire for social justice, reconciling with his ability to carry the weight and hold space for many others, the tools he uses to regulate his nervous system and triggers, 
religious doctrine in Christianity and how it's moved away from the original values of pure love and acceptance. The advent of quote unquote new religions, how his relationship with running and his physical body has changed recently and much more. Please enjoy this conversation with my wise and wonderful friend, Dean Morris. Dean Morris. Yes, May. Hello, hello. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Welcome thank to you. the craft. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm I excited know. to be here. I'm. I feel like I've been in your guys' space, a little more good space, yeah. um, several times. But now it's time for me to open up my arms. Here we are. And welcome you in. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm feeling really good. It's uh, it's kind of a, a typical spring Vancouver morning. You know, a little bit of sun, a little bit of cloud, a little bit of rain. <laughs> and I'm here with you. Uh, it's good. It's a good day. Yeah, it's a good day. And yeah. I get to spend my morning with you chatting. Yeah. So good. I know. I was thinking about it last night. I was like, you know, w- with with Zach and the A Little More Good podcast, like we have lots of conversations. We've had three this week. Um, and, you know, you're kind of prepping and thinking, okay, like what's the guest going to bring? And, you know, you do your regular thing. But last night I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, I'm like actually really excited <laughs> to come in and just like, you know, share, share my story or wherever you want to go. But it's yeah. like, a, it's same, same, different, but I'm just excited mm-hmm. to, to be able to, to enter too. into the space of, of the craft and be mm. here with you. I love that. I'm like, yeah, I get to shoot the breeze with Dean this morning about all things. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I really want to go back in time. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about growing up in Richmond. Ooh, Richmond, the Flatlands, or or Ditchmond. <laughs> Ditchmond. Oh my God, I've never heard that. You haven't? No. Oh, it's like uh, it's it's less it's less common now because they're like filling in all of the ditches. But because uh, for those of you who don't know, Richmond is like below below sea level, so we've got like the famous dike that goes all the way around the city to make sure that you know when the tide comes up, everyone's <laughs> feet stay dry. Um, but yeah, so it's like below sea level, so there's lots of ditches. And partly it was like back in the farming history or whatever, of like letting the water run off and then it gets like pumped out into the river. Um, but when I was growing up, it was like, that's what it was. It was Ditchmond because oh like everyone that I knew grew up on a street with a ditch and mm. it was like a Richmond rite of passage to fall into a ditch. Because <laughs> like in the spring and summer, they would fill up with like tadpoles and frogs. And so, of course, we were like trying to catch them. And there was like everyone you know the the kind of like machismo 10 to 12 year old boy like who can jump who can jump the ditch and then you'd find the widest <laughs> part and yeah my brother the rode good his, old days oh yeah my brother rode his bike into the ditch <laughs> like yeah if you grew up in richmond you've been in the ditch <laughs> it's just facts i love that so yeah i grew up there is a good it was a good spot it was we had i was really fortunate to grow up like um we had an acre property in the middle of the city which is kind of unheard of now um and our backyard was just kind of wild like it was uh all we just called like the back 40 and it was Mm. like bush and trees and we had forts and stuff back there we did all kinds of stuff that our parents would probably shudder at you know back there (laughs) bb guns like had fires in our little fort which could have literally like burned down the neighborhood um but yeah it was just like it was kind of a cool time you think of like the quintessential like nostalgic childhood of like running free with your friends like bikes Mm -hmm. on the front lawn you know that's how you knew where everybody was kind of thing and playing in the backyard my dad had this like incredible whistle 
like he could like just with his like fingers in his mouth or okay. whatever and he would stand at the front porch and just like let out a few of those and be like oh it must be dinner time, time? We, like race back home wow it was crazy so it was such a fun childhood of like exploration and play and you know just make making games and uh yeah being outside yeah was that, like when i think back to my childhood Were those you- summers and stuff that was key mm. yeah and you were quite, I mean, you're outdoorsy now. Yeah. So there was elements of that childhood that you're like carrying over into your passions now. For sure. Um, were you a curious kid? Yeah. I, yeah, I would say. I was always curious in like uh, how things worked. Um, I was a kid that asked a lot of like why questions. Like, well, why do we have to do this? Or not just like the annoying, like, well, do we have to clean my room. But like, you know, uh, I wanted to understand the world around me. Like I always remember asking questions about how things worked and especially, you know, coming back to that idea of like outside, like how I can, I specifically remember asking my grandma about like the water cycle and like rain because it was like raining or whatever. And she's like, well, it's good because it's like watering the plants. And I was like, but where does it come from? Mm. Which is like maybe like natural kid kind of questions. But yeah, I think I'd always had that like curiosity and coupled together with like this idea of like exploration, like wanting to see like what's what else is out there? What's next? What haven't we, what part of the yard or the whole back area like haven't we explored or is there something else we could, some other fun or trouble we could get up to? Mm, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Did any element of, of that come from your parents? Like, yeah, what, tell me about them. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Like, um, your dad was adventurous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, I, when I look back, again, like kind of childhood days, and, and we often remember like those high moments, like family holidays or things like this. And, and again, like we were pretty fortunate. Like our family didn't have a lot of like money or wealth at all, like growing up. But my parents always did their best to like give us some, you know, experience, whether it was just like a road trip up, like my mom's family all lived up in like North, well, central Northern BC, like Prince George, Vanderhoof area. Mm. Shout out to Vanderhoof. <laughs> <laughs> Complete now with the A&W and Tim Hortons. Wow. So like just they've expanding. arrived. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's They're a on pretty, the map. It's a pretty bustling metropolis. If LA... Oh. If I should say that, <laughs> if the big cities of the world don't work out, yeah. check Vanderhoof. <laughs> well, I mean, I do love A and W, so <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but the uh, <laughs> yeah, the sense of adventure, um, my dad, I think, always instilled in us. I can think back to like our our trips, and and it would be like a hike, or uh, you know, again, kind of like getting out into the outdoors and seeing always like what's around the corner like I I remember this one time we were we were staying on the coast my dad always loved like being on the coast and so uh, Quadra Island is kind of like uh, just just a skip across from Campbell River area on Vancouver Island and it's like pretty wild it's pretty rugged it's absolutely beautiful like perfect kind of BC coastline you know you can get out there and see any kind of crazy wildlife just off the dock octopus uh, we'd see like whales, seals, sea lions. Like it was just amazing. And so we were kayaking one day and we we're just like going out there and, you know, we had a backpack full of snacks and water and we'd been gone for a few hours. Right. And like one direction. So I'm thinking like, oh man, we got to like turn around and come all this way back. And I said to my dad, like, yo, should we like, uh, think about heading back? And he's like, well, let's just see, like, let's just see what's around that next point. Cause it's like, you couldn't quite mm. see. And I, it's like that sense of like, what's, what's like, I can see that there's something there, but like what's around it. And, uh, now I find 
I have that same, I have that same kind of like mentality, whether it's like hiking or something, or even in sport, like athletics, uh, I've always been really um, athletic and I love movement and challenging myself. And so whether it's running or, you know, picking up something heavy, I have that kind of curiosity or wonder of like, well, what, what would it be like to like run five kilometers further Mm. or a little bit faster or add another plate and see if I can pick it up, you know? So just that, that sense of, yeah, wonder, I think has always been there. And it's something that, uh, I, I have in me and I continually find ways to like stoke that, you know? Mm. Yeah. And very much like you. Yeah. That wonder I feel is, um, allowing for magic and mystery in your life and surprise. And those are like those moments that you remember, like you remember this trip because of that. Hey, yeah, maybe, there's something. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's a nice way to live, to be honest. Like it it's, it's a way of seeing the world in a beautiful way. Yeah. We always, we always teased my dad, like, we're like, oh, I don't know, you must, we must have like some Norse or like, you know, Viking ancestors <laughs> where you have this desire just to like keep going and exploring and seeing, right? And now looking back being like, well, as like a, obviously, you know, white male, like you can't In escape. a boat. Yeah. I'm like, geez. <laughs> can't escape the reality of like yeah I'm probably connected to someone who did some pretty horrific things you know in terms of like exploring and taking something that didn't belong to theirs but on the on the beautiful side of that saying well let's explore and then honor what we find right Mm. and so trying to like move forward in the generations of like okay yeah understanding that this is this this land where we live obviously is beautiful and it's worthy of all exploration but like making sure that we we honor it and acknowledge and respect that it's like not ours it's for not the ours yeah, yeah. So. none of this is for the take the earth is not for the taking no which is you know it's such a an extraction oh. mindset um and it would just be so nice to live in symbiosis right with well, all things well and it's crazy because because that's the intended design i i believe like i we look at it and i mean the more I learn and understand like indigenous worldviews and stuff, the concept of like belonging to rather than like owning Mm -hmm. is the most important thing. I think that we can really lean into is like none of us own, we might on paper own this land or this apartment or whatever, but we don't, we don't ownership is nothing, right? If we don't see ourselves as belonging to, um, we're going to continue to put ourselves in, in precarious situations, right? With, with the climate, with one another. So I feel like that, that idea of belonging to symbiosis, like I'm part of this whole ecosystem, not yeah. separate from it, yeah. is, is something that's going to be really important moving forward. A hundred percent. And, you know, it's like, it's also the thought that we're also not here for a very long time. Like we are and we aren't oh yeah so what are we going to do with that that time how are we going to live with that time and I sometimes I feel like people don't have that long view of like what I do here matters yes you know it it doesn't it doesn't yeah (laughs) but you know what I mean but that's the truth that that's the truth of it Mm -hmm. is like it it matters so much because in the whole grand scheme of things it's so irrelevant Mm -hmm. right like it's a it's a paradox it's a complete paradox but because we're only here for such a short time, like why wouldn't you want to live every day and maximize every day and make the most of every day? Not in this like whatever crazy display of like, I'm, I'm never going to rest because that's part of the equation too. Mm-hmm. But like 
we're here for such a short time Mm -hmm. in the whole scheme of the cosmos like why wouldn't you want to just like squeeze the most out of every drop of life we get Mm -hmm. and that could mean a quiet moment too like just a quiet contemplation with a tea in your hand yes that's also a moment it doesn't have to like you said it doesn't have to be grand all the time yeah you know and there's no appreciation when things are always so grand <laughs> it's true you gotta yeah. have you gotta have it all right the mm-hmm. good the good can only be so good because you've experienced the opposite mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. just it's always been like you know sunshine and roses you don't know how good you've got it until something happens or gives you perspective mm-hmm. to be like oh man and then you can really start to experience gratitude mm. because you've maybe experienced lack or deficit or difficulty and nobody wishes those things, right? It's like any anyone, you talk to them and you're like, they're on the, the outside of a really difficult transition or situation and they'll say something along the lines of like, oh my God, I would, I would never wish that on my worst enemy. Mm. But, but that made me the person I am today. And mm. there's this weird thing of like, I hate that this happened to me. However, that event has catalyzed me to be the person that I am. And so it's that we live in that tension, right? You need, we need it all. We need to experience it all. I think we need to learn how to process it all, the joy, the sorrow, the, mm-hmm. the, the mundane and count it all as part of this like beautiful picture of life, mm-hmm. uh, not just the highlight reel. Yeah, I- exactly. Sorry, Instagram. <laughs> yeah, sorry, IG, yeah. but we know what you're all about. Yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> as long as you're aware, you yeah. know, as long as other people are aware too. Um, yeah, I had a, a, a wonderful um, guest and now friend, uh, an artist, Megan McGrath, and she spoke about um, looking at life as seasons, you know, the seasons of life. And I just loved that so much. And I think of life, the, my life that way now too. There are seasons for great expansion and there's going to be a season where I'd want to cocoon and rest and um it's so cyclical and circular, and I like that. Yeah. I've been really drawn to circles lately. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, just just a few moments ago, we were talking about, like, that that belonging to nature and the world around us. And, and we think of ourselves as separate because we live in these, you know, buildings, and it's 22 and a half degrees all year round, right? Because we just were comfortable. But, like, the reality is, is that if we look outside or if we get outside and experience the seasons – we're reminded like we're just coming into spring in Vancouver now and it is truly one of the most incredible times to be in this city because you get warmth and cold and rain and sun and even snow all you know in the same month or whatever and it's the seasons are on display for us Mm -hmm. and then we come into fall and it's like oh yeah it reminds us like you know that that kitschy Instagram post or whatever but it's so good the trees are reminding us like let that shit go Mm -hmm, right and mm -hmm. as all the leaves are falling and then new birth every spring like it's just nature is is just maybe gently screaming (laughs) at us like pay attention there's a season there's a season for all of this Mm -hmm. birth and life and vitality and grow and harvest and death and we need to see it all and, and experience it all. Mm, I just got chills. Yeah, yeah no, I, I'm really, really with all, all of that that you said. Um, and I'm just going back to something you said about um, having something big happening to you that gives you a big pers- perspective shift or um, gives you some kind of immense growth. And I wanted to ask, is there something in your life, whether you're young or even more recently, that has given you that? 
shift? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, probably like the biggest, the biggest event was when I was just after I graduated high school and my, I had got a job like working at this camp on the coast. Surprise, surprise, like being outside all day and like whatever, but it was so good. And then I came, I came home for like a brief weekend. I'd gone away for like a week and then was home for a weekend and, and my dad picked me up and he was like, I could tell he's like kind of awkward. And I was like, what's happening? I thought like maybe someone in our family had like passed away or, you know, had been diagnosed with like some illness or something. Cause I could just, you could feel the energy was like something was different. Right. And he's like, oh, he kind of pulled his truck over and he's like, there's no, I don't really have a good way to like tell you this, but like, you know, uh, I'm like leaving, I'm leaving your mom. And I was just kind of like blindsided. I was like, wait, what and it was this weird mix of like relief that like nobody had died or but then also like grief and shock because like my parents never fought like when I was growing up I started looking back and being like what the heck like why why because everything appeared to be fine um and then you know months and months later as I was kind of like processing this I I recognized like oh they never like they never fought Mm. And I saw that not as like a, well, that's a good thing. I saw it as like, oh, they like didn't communicate. They just had kind of like grown apart. And so that was like, yeah, right after grad high school graduation. So kind of this like pivotal time where people always say like, oh, I went to like Europe and like found myself or, you know, we often come out of the bubble of high school and we, we can start to experience who, who we are or who we are becoming and even shed some of the things that we maybe previously were or, or had to be or felt like we had to be. And so at that time in my life, uh, yeah, that was like, that was a big moment. I had been beginning to experiment and understand uh, like the spiritual nature of who I was. Um, and yeah, when I learned, when I learned that they were, they were getting a divorce or, you know, my dad ended up like living in this boat for a while and they were trying to like figure things out and, it was just so bizarre. And I had this opportunity where I was working. I like went back, like after that weekend, I was like, okay, like I gotta go. And so I left my mom and brother and I like went and worked all summer at this camp. And uh, fortunately for me, like it gave me a lot of time and space to process and heal and walk through that event. Um, and, you know, I still carry a little bit of guilt because I was gone, right? And my, my brother was there like facing my mom and you know they were trying to to work it out um i remember like very very vividly coming home after my dad had picked picked me up and he like dropped me off at home and then like left and it was so surreal because i was like what the heck like Mm -hmm. you're not like you're not gonna live here anymore and i remember like walking in the front door and my brother was home and uh you know he just kind of like looked at me with like this just like kind of stoic face and was just like shaking his head a little bit and my mom was like in her ensuite bathroom and she was like on the floor like just crying and she's like I'm sorry I'm sorry and I was like why are you like you don't have anything to be sorry for and started kind of like uh in that moment I was like I'm the youngest in in my family but in that moment felt like I was the caregiver and uh kind of has remained that way I think since a little bit Mm. yeah I resented it a little bit for a while where I was like I'm the youngest like why does all this shit fall on my shoulders Mm. why do you think it does (sighs) I think it's just like part of who we are I think that 
uh, energetically, I have the posture of like, uh, well, physically, I have broad shoulders. And I think that, that energetically as well, like I can carry a lot mm. and I do. Um, but at some point, you know, I'm, I've learned and am learning when it's too much and, and when it's okay to say, I can't, like, I can't carry that for you. But part of, part of my, just who I am, my identity, my DNA, whatever is, is to, to be a support mm-hmm. and to, to carry the weight for as many people as possible and like that's a noble thing but at the same time you know at what cost I always wonder at what cost yeah I I, th- I believe you know knowing what I know about you you being my friend you're an incredible space holder and um, I feel that there not a lot of people um, understand unless you are a space holder how much energy that takes how much care it takes and intention and trust and it's it's work to hold space so I can see if you were holding all of that for all members of your family um, at that time and maybe still are wow that's that's a lot and and I'm glad to hear that you are saying you're putting some boundaries down when the energy depletion comes yeah yeah and I think that's thank you for saying that and I also I feel like it's it's part of that learning experience of like it will carry you and serve you to be that way. But at some point it tips into like unhealth, just like any of our gifts or strengths that we use. If we don't balance it or we're not fully aware of, of what it costs us. Cause even the things we love and bring us joy, like they, they come with a cost. It takes energy. It takes time, whatever. And so unless we kind of have that balance of understanding, okay, you know, where do I begin to move in like dysregulation? Mm. That was like a really important question that I leaned into um, kind of, kind of like maybe five or six years ago, like recognizing when I, when I feel just like angst or stress or like the world is closing in on me, like what, pausing and saying, why, why do I feel this? I recognize, okay, yes, I feel this. And then the next all important question is like, why, what is causing me to feel this way? And then tr- tr- trying to start to build structures and buffers to say, yo, don't get to this point. Cause this is not a fun way to live. And I become like not a great person, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And like we usually to our closest people, that's who we like are angry or lash out towards. And so I'm like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that guy who's like frustrated at home or whatever. And yeah. All good on the outside, right? But then, yeah. So so learning where do I move when I'm in like dysregulation mm. and then start to mitigate against those was was an important lesson, is an important lesson, I should say. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. And how do you deal with your dysregulation? Is it, do you return to breath or is it a a walk? Yeah. Yeah. There's a few, there's a few things. I think for me, it's like taking that, taking that beat, that breath, um, whether it's, you know, some sort of actual practice of like a breath work thing. Typically in the moment, it's not, it's just like centering myself and recognizing the thing that is triggered, you know, in, in me, whatever, whatever stress or frustration I have and then trying to see like the bigger picture and then recognize like okay where's my ownership like what did I do to get myself here because lots of times I it would be blaming right I'd be like oh this is like that thing's fault or that person's fault and recognizing that it's always like it's all it takes two to tango or three or four sometimes (laughs) a multitude of things right as they all come together Mm -hmm. and recognizing that it was like that decision and this reaction and 
choosing this and this and like, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm like an Enneagram seven. I don't know if everyone who listens to the craft will understand that, but Enneagram is like a personality typing test, kind of like Myers-Briggs-esque, but it has more of like a spiritual dynamic as well. And uh, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. And what that is, it's often called like the enthusiast. And basically we're like the people who are down for anything all the time, like sign up, hell yeah, ask questions <laughs> later, right? I'll say yes, and then I'll check my calendar kind of thing, like literally, and it's it's it sounds like a joke, but I'm like, I'll literally be like, oh, that's amazing, yes, and they'll be like, shit, I should check. <laughs> and then I'll have to like look and be like, oh yeah, I am actually free. <laughs> um, and so it's a great way to live because like you experience so much and life is so full and and it's beautiful, but at the same time, right, that that passion of mine, that willingness to just say yes to life on everything, um, can be like my undoing where I'm like, mm. oh, all of a sudden I feel like the weight of it all. And I want to show up as the best version of myself for everyone and everything that I'm going to. But all of a sudden I realize like I'm tapped, like I can't. And then I like get really upset at myself. Like, why did I say all this? I hate this. I don't even want to do this. <laughs> right. And it's just so learning some of those things. Yeah. Like, so, so important. Yeah. And I feel like um, maybe for people who, people who are space holders, it takes a long time to um, unlearn and learn how to set those boundaries. Yeah. Um, and I feel similarly. I yesterday I had a super packed day, like back to back, and there was um, I was going to do a sound therapy session for a friend as a birthday gift, but I woke up yes yesterday morning and I was like, I have no energy right now, and. You know, I actually, my friend said something really beautiful. So basically I was like, okay, I could either do this with half the energy or I could be honest with my friend and let her know that I just don't have the energetic capacity and I'm depleted and reschedule. And so I told her that and she was like, oh my gosh, no, no problem. Rest up. And then I was like, well, I can do Sunday. And she said to me, you know what? There's no need to reschedule quickly. She said, your body is asking for consideration. And I just thought to myself, wow, what a, what a beautiful response from a beautiful human. That's a good friend. That's a good friend. And so, and there was a part of me that was like, oh no, I'm okay. I can still do Sunday if you can. And instead I, I just took the gift and I was like, okay, Let's look at our schedules next week. Yeah. And it was so, it was a nice reminder that our bodies are asking for us to consider them. Yeah. Well, and then like if we, if we fast forward into the future, like that experience that you'll curate will be infinitely better because in the work that you do with your soundbite, it's already profound and powerful and moving but recognizing like you're going to enter into that with this gift that she's given you of like recognizing it and honoring what you need and you'll bring it like it just it just sets up a way better mm-hmm. experience exactly for, for both of you for everyone yeah and like if we that's a good lesson to say let's peel back the demands of like now and the instant gratification all this and delay it with honor and recognize like when those things converge now like it's becomes way more of a almost like sacred moment Mm -hmm. because like, you know, you were honest and she responded in a beautiful way 
And so it like creates this moment now when you meet up yeah. like that hug together for yeah. the person. There's going to be so much unsaid in that like, thank, you know, that's yeah, just thank like, you for that, you know? And yeah, exactly. And, and she dropped a nugget that I'll never forget. So yeah. that's, that's a gift in itself. So yeah, yeah. thank you. Thanks E. You yeah. know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do want to go back to something you said okay. about the Enneagram mm. and how it's more underpinned with um, spirituality. And I'd love to go back to your spiritual path because in high school you developed an interest in religion. Yeah. Yeah. But b- without a re- religious upbringing. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So we, like our family, it wasn't a thing, right? Church. Like I can remember one time being in a church and it was like for a funeral for someone and it was like stuffy and it didn't really make sense. And the guy up at the front with the robes and the beard, like seemed more scary than loving. And I was just like, Ugh, you know, and then TV and movies kind of like shaped my other understanding of what church was. Um, so I really had no interest. I had no interest in, in religion. Uh, like I say, my family, it wasn't like part of our pattern at all. So it, we were like a pretty just, not atheist, like there wasn't really any talk. We were just like agnostic. Like it just was mm-hmm. like, oh, some people go to church, some people do this, whatever, not us. Um, and then in high school, like I started hanging out with some people that were part of this church and they were all great. We just became friends and it was like, that's cool, that's for you. I'll come and shoot hoops with you or like hang out and, you know, watch movies, order pizza, high school stuff, right? Um, but like, that's not for me. Church is not for me. Uh, I always viewed it as like a crutch for people who were weak and like needed some help in life. And I was like, that's cool. No shade, no shame. But like, I'm good. Like, I've got a good family. I've got a good, you know, I'm captain of the basketball team. Like, what else do I need as a 17-year-old kid, right? And then it was like, I guess it was like grade 10 or grade 11. I can't, grade 11, grade 10, actually. We had a, a project for one of my classes and and it was like research your heroes. And I was always drawn to social justice. Like I was always a person who saw, even as a kid, like I saw things that were unfair and I was like, that's just wrong. Like, why would you do that? Why would, you know, take something that's not yours or treat someone badly just because you don't like their shirt or whatever. I just like had this ingrained in me that I like this desire for justice. And so you know, in high school, you start to like differentiate and find your own path. And so I was like this athlete kind of jock guy, but like didn't fit the mold of like your typical high school jock. Like I was into art and music and all this like creative stuff too. And I just loved, um, I loved music that expressed justice. And so my brother actually gave me this CD of this band rage against the machine. Oh yeah. And I like fell in love with these guys because it was that kind of like heavy, like aggressive music, which I was into back then. It still am, I guess, but (laughs) a diversity of things now. Um, but they were telling stories of like justice, right. And fighting injustice and standing up for like, you know, the marginalized. And I was like, yes, like yeah. these guys punk movement. Yes. It's so punk rock. I was like, these guys are the real deal. Um, so fell in love with them, started becoming more aware of like the wider world of injustice that has happened and was happening. And, you know, started looking at things like civil rights movements and around the world and, and got captivated by different leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. And was like, man, this guy 
is a really passionate advocate for change and, and racial justice and equality in the States. And, you know, he was someone that I, I really admired. And, and then, uh, some, someone else, I don't even remember how I got onto it, but someone else talked to me about Gandhi and I was like, Whoa, like this guy was this, he look at him and he's like this frail, feeble looking guy. And yet he changed his corner of the world and the world really through like nonviolent revolution with like his salt march and, and, you know, the different things he stood for And anyhow, uh, so for this project, they're like, tell us about your heroes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to choose MLK and Gandhi as my heroes because they were badass and they changed the world through like these nonviolent ways, right? Like anyone, anyone can, can fight a war. Anyone can grab a gun and try to be like the tough guy. And I was like this, there's something to this. And so part of this project was like, who were your heroes heroes who who was someone or people that they looked up to to say yeah I want to model my life in in kind of like their way and so for both of these guys I mean Martin Luther King Jr. was a reverend so obviously he had Jesus like as a footnote to his story a big footnote Um, and then Gandhi also Hmm. mentioned Jesus as this person that he really respected and looked up to and so I became curious I was like okay two of the people that I'm interested in and that I would want to be like, uh, they have like Jesus as this footnote to their life of like someone who inspired them and someone who is instrumental in how, how they lived out their mission, their passion in life to, to see injustice, to seek it and then to, to fight against it, but not in your conventional, like fighting kind of way. And so I knew a couple people who were involved in church. So I asked this one guy, he was like a, he was like a youth pastor and, you know, he was driving me home uh, from, we were playing basketball and he's driving me home and I was like, Hey, I got to ask you this question. Like, I- I'm really curious about who Jesus was. Right. And like, if anyone knows a youth pastor, like their job is to like, you know, in a, in a, in a really pure way, like kind of be a mentor for youth and like help them explore Jesus. Like that's their job. Right. And so this guy, like here's this kid, like doesn't go to church, secular, whatever, you know, like not right for it. Yeah. And I'm like asking him to tell me about Jesus. Like I'm surprised he didn't drive off the road. Like what? (laughs) This never happens. A teenager is interested in Jesus. And so, but that being said, like I, I really wasn't, I was really skeptical about church, even like all the mystical elements, like, I, I like didn't know. Right. But I was curious, like going back to the earlier part of the conversation, I was curious. I had all this wonder and I was, it was that kind of like social justice thing. Like, okay, I think Jesus has something to do with like these kind of movements. And honestly, uh, we started like walking through these, he told me, Oh yeah, you can read some of these stories. And it talks about some of the things that Jesus did. And, um, I just started looking into it and I became really, really fascinated by this character. And, I mean, started kind of started attending this church and it was no accident, I think, that I ended up there because it was like more, you know, the the pastor at that church at the time, like left with more questions, left us with more questions and answers. Like he wasn't mm-hmm. out there being like, this is the thing and just, you know, believe this and whatever. And so I kind of been going there and then had this moment where I had to tell my parents, I felt like I had to come out to my parents to be like, you know. I've been going to church. I'm going to church. Cause it was like, we didn't do it in our family. And I remember being like, feeling so nervous being like, what are they going to like say? Like, I can't go whatever. And I talked to my dad and I was like, listen, you know, I've been going, I don't know. I don't know if I believe it, but I'm really curious. I want to learn more. And, and that kind of like 
that spark of like spirituality was was growing in me and so my dad said to me and i remember it like clear clear as day he's like that's fine he's like i don't mind if you i don't mind if you go but he's like you have to promise me one thing and i'm like okay and he says keep your brain turned on like mm. don't just believe something because someone tells you that it's true and don't just believe something because someone says, oh, it's written in this book or whatever. And so therefore you should act this way or do this way, do this thing. And I was like, yeah, no, I was like, that's totally fair. I was like, for sure. So he's like, cool. He's like, I, I know the people you're hanging out with. They're good people. I never have to worry about like what you're up to. You're just over there. They had a gym in the church. So we were always playing basketball and stuff and hanging out there. And he's like, so yeah, like obviously go, but just, just remember, right? Mm. Keep your, keep your brain turned on. And so it's funny because I kept going and I kept asking a lot of these questions and, you know, just kind of kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and investigating it, releasing like, well, what about this? And was there really a boat with like every animal in the world? Like that's come on. Yeah. That's not true. Right. And like kept investigating it and going down these rabbit holes and just felt more and more uh, like the thing that I was investigating was resonating deeper and deeper with me and that was like understanding who Jesus was mm. and so long story short is I ended up going and working at that church that I was going to did a lot of music there like that was kind of my main role did some teaching ended up going to seminary got a master's degree in like we call like ministry leadership and culture so the idea is like leading church communities into the future knowing the world is changing. Oh, and like, I didn't know there was a master's degree for that. Yeah, there's, wow. a, there's a few. And it was actually in uh, uh, Central Valley, California. I was out of a university there mm. that went through. And um, some of the people that I admired most were like kind of adjunct professors there. So I was like, okay, if there's ever a time to take a course, it's with these people because they are the ones whose voices I'm like, yes. Mm. Whatever Christianity is, there's a lot of things that I'd say it's not this. But some of these people who were profs there, I was like, they are telling like a way more interesting story that's like different than kind of mainstream evangelical Christianity. I was like, that's what I want to mm. pursue. Um, what does that difference look like for someone that, is like me that doesn't, uh, I'm not Christian. I don't yeah. follow the, uh, any of this. And so what was that difference for you between, um, the professors that you were drawn to versus, um, a lot of what is out there? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's very anti-imperial. So it's like not, it's like in America and in Canada, but more so in America. And we kind of live in the shadow of them. Um, Christianity is like, it's like the national religion right? Even though it's dwindling, um, it's like Christian national, like God bless America, right? And that lingers into Canada too, but like less so here. So I would say that's a, that's a big difference is like, it's very divergent from mm. empire. It's not part of the government. It's, it's, it's in some ways like resistant to, mm -hmm. not in like an overthrow kind of way, but like Jesus, for example, right? Was executed was murdered by the church and the state right like the religious elites and the political elites and that's because he was not falling in line with like the traditional method of how things should be and so when the religion that is modeled after this guy falls in line with like the state mm. that's a problem right and so 
that's where, and I think a lot of Christianity has become something that, you know, the person whose name is attached to it never, ever stood for. It became like really narrow in, I think, its belief. It became really exclusive in who could be part of it. It became uh, something about upholding tradition rather than being a progressive, loving, invitational kind of movement. And so I was always put off when the church looked more like those things Mm. and less like a radically gracious, loving, accepting human in Jesus. Because you look at some churches, not all, but you look at some churches today, even in our city, and I'm like, I feel like if Jesus were to show up today, he like wouldn't be welcome there. Mm. And that's a really sad statement, but it's true. Because like, you know, lots of these buildings that house churches, they have like plaques on the front door that's like everyone welcome. And I was like, either you need to take that down or you need to like live up to that Mm. and be like, actually everyone is welcome. Because like the experiences that I've had is like, that's not actually true. Mm. It's like, you don't want to be a church that's doing like false advertising. Totally. It's like, (laughs) it's all been shaped for certain purposes Mm -hmm. and for certain belongings, Mm -hmm. but not all belonging. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so, so for me, I wanted to pursue a path, a path that created spiritual communities formed in the way of Jesus, but that were not conventional in like Mm. what, what we think of when we think of church. So in spirit and in values. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not like doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. Doctrine. Oh, like lots of people love it. Lots of people, religious people love doctrine because it's very black and white. It's very easy to know who's in and out mm-hmm. in doctrine, right? If you do these things, you're in. If you do these things, you're out. That's doctrine. That's super easy. So much created from fear, you know, like yeah. that doctrines are created from fear. Yes. Like just like, yeah, the gray, not good with it because we don't know. Totally. And that's scary. Yeah. But then again, like the irony for me, the sad irony is like that, in, in Christianity, at least when you have a church that's like heavy on doctrine, I'm like, I don't understand how you can get there because, the, again, the person at the center of your face, like there was no doctrine. Like he contradicted for, for there was no, there was no New Testament when, when Jesus was walking around, right? It was the Hebrew Bible. It was like the Old Testament, what Christians call the Old Testament. And even in that, there's there's violent pictures and images and things and and Jesus came along and said you've heard that it was said you know an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth him quoting old testament scripture and he's like but i tell you like turn the other cheek mm. so he's like upping the game of like don't just do so an eye for an eye is like fair right if you hurt me this way i'm going to hurt you back this way and it's fair that already in the ancient near east was like a huge progressive step Because up until an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, kind of this like fair, equal retribution, up until then, it's like if you, you know, if you killed my brother, we're going to murder your whole village. Mm. And it was like so, that's the way that the world was back then. And so for the, the writers of the Hebrew Bible to come along and say, no, 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 you've heard, you know, like this, this like vengeance, we're going to stop that. And we're just going to say an eye for an eye, like, Take what's yours, Mm -hmm. but no more. And then Jesus comes along. He's like, you've heard that it was said, right? He's quoting their holy book. And it's like, 
but no more. Now, mm-hmm. no violence, right? Mm-hmm. And his most famous sermon, like Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes is sometimes called, it's all about like justice and peace and, and love and forgiveness and grace. And so when you have doctrine, you have churches that are heavily focused on doctrine of who's in and who's out based on behaviors or these things, it flies in the face of who Jesus was mm-hmm. as this radically accepting, loving person to the people that were, that didn't fit the mold. Like there's story after story after story of him being with the wrong type of people. Mm-hmm. And then the kind of like the wink and the nod of the story is like, actually, these are the right people. And it's like the religious elites that are so upset and offended to the point of planning and following through with his execution. Because mm. he was disrupting the he system. He was disrupting, yeah. exactly. He was a disruptor of the system. Yeah. He was allowing for love to grow. And people who are fearful and want power don't want people to feel connected no. and and loved. I mean, I, I will say that we see that today. Yeah, in more than just religious circles, unfortunately. Exactly. But. It's seeped into all places. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I just, like I said, that that for me... There's a lot of people who look at the Bible and they say, well, the Bible says this, right? And and for me, I'm like, well, what do you follow more? Like the Bible or Jesus? Because those are two different things, right? We find Jesus in the Bible. But when we look at those stories, like we can pull out moments where Jesus like contradicts and goes against the things that are in the Bible. So it's like, so now, now you're in the position where you have to choose. What are you going to follow? You're going to follow the book? You're going to follow the individual. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, I'm always, always going to err on the side of, like, modeling my life in the way of the individual and how he lived and the things that he stood for and the and the ways that he, like, modeled it and lived it out. The people that he went to, the people that he made space for, held space for. I was like, that, I will always err on the side of that. Mm. And it's curious because in, in not in all, but in some circles of of church and institution like that puts you on the outside Mm, that's why you're the rebel pastor i guess that's yeah (laughs) zach loves calling me that (laughs) the rebel pastor but no there's there's one maybe maybe we like hang on this for another minute there's one really good like uh way of kind of helping people who again like if you don't have a church background it can be like well who even cares like why would you even care to stay like get out of there people who are like you know it's pointless but when it when it works, when you see people who, who are living towards like a selfless version of, of, of themselves and, and honoring others in ways, you know, like treat others how you want to be treated. Like anyone can do that. You don't have to be a, a follower of Jesus to, to do that. But there's so many beautiful things about the story that I think uh, keep me so interested. And, and it's like such a compelling narrative that someone would give their life in this way and be murdered by religious people. And then from that, from that moment say like, forgive, like this is, I want to forgive them. Mm -hmm. Right. There's no condemnation. There's forgiveness, there's space, there's openness. And that's just like such a far more interesting and beautiful story than like some of the other ways it's told. Mm -hmm. And so, there's lots of, uh, there's one way of understanding where it's like, there's a fence. There's like a fence that keeps people in. So if you believe these things, you're on the inside of this fence. And if you don't believe them, you're on the outside of the fence and it's doctrine, right? It comes back to that idea of like, uh, 
Control. Control. Mm -hmm. And it's really clear. If you are outside, you're outside. And if you're inside, you're inside. And here's the expectations on how you behave and stuff like that. And the fence is like what keeps it clear. But there's a different way. It's called centered set. So that's bounded set. You're bounded by this fence or by this like rigid uh, belief. Centered set is like imagine like a, a, a farmland with like a well or like a or like a pond at the center. And so there's no fence because the pond, the water, the the source at the center is the thing that will draw people to it. Will draw you know the animals back to it or whatever using that kind of pastoral imagery and so for for having something at the center that's beautiful and encouraging people to come you might look and there might be someone like really far off from the center but they're moving towards it and there might be someone like really seemingly like really close to the center but they're actually moving away and so in the centered set it's not about who's in or who's out or even where you are in relation to the source but like what direction are you moving in are you moving towards it are you moving away are you hanging out by it? Are you far off? Are you coming near? And like, to me, that's how uh, uh, like a faith community should be organized. Mm. Like, where are you on journey towards the source? Not like, are you bound in? Are you keeping in line? Are you falling in line? Do you, do you have the right doctrine? That's not very interesting to me. That kind of set too also gives people a sense of agency yeah, and choice. Wherever yes. you're at, you're at and you get to choose where you want to be in conjunction to the source or or maybe just it's a time for uh, rest and some other exploration and so you're going to be further away from the source yeah Mm. yeah so i i really i just really like that in general yeah and i feel like that's that's the way that jesus lived like he was constantly invitational like people, he, there's all these stories of healings and stuff, which is so cool to read. And and before I was like really skeptical. I'm like, ah, I think it's just like a metaphor. But now I'm like, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm leaning into learning about like quantum healing and all this crazy stuff and, you know, sound, sound healing, right? Yeah. All this yeah. mystical stuff that before I kind of would have like downplayed because I'm like, well, I don't know. And now I'm like, no, I'm more open to it than I was when I was in a more active role. In the church, like then I would have been like, well, let's, it, it can be like a, it can be like an analogy for like, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like, I don't know, like maybe it was radical healings, but it's interesting because Jesus would always ask like, do you, like, do you want to be well? Mm. Which is a curious question because mm-hmm. people will come and then, you know, there's that agency given back. If Jesus was God in flesh and could manipulate health and wellness, all these things and, and bring healing, it was always an invitation. It was always a question. Well, do you want this? Do you want to receive it? And I feel like the thing that that teaches us about God, if Jesus was here to teach us about who God is, that that God is like invitational and patient and will not force his or her will upon us, mm. right? God will wait and God will extend invitation. And we might say source or universe and I felt like the universe energy. Was, energy was giving me this invitation. I feel like that's the nature of God is like this invitational step into the flow, participate in the fullness of life. And it's going to keep coming. And every day, every moment, there's an opportunity to see it in, in the great and in the small, right? Like I, I truly believe that ev- everything is spiritual. Mm. There's no moment of our lives where, you know, again, church people with, with doctrine like to separate sacred from spiritual or, or excuse me, sacred from secular or like spiritual and, and outside of. And I'm like, you can't do that. You can't separate it. Like everything is spiritual. 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at how many cultures operate through life, they do operate with a sense of spirituality when I think of indigenous culture and and how they are with um, with Mother Nature and and their gods and, and, and their totem animals and things like that. If I think about how the Japanese move through the world, they're also in harmony with um, nature and spirit. I mean, even if you watch any of the famous Japanese animes from Studio Ghibli, there's always this like kind of spiritual element, probably in the form of like a fantastical little creature, but that that it represents the mystical, and it's 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 prevalent. Spirituality is prevalent oh, in yeah. so many places, yeah. and it doesn't have to be defined just in terms of religion. You know, no. people say nature is my church. Yes. I feel that way totally. Well, I was gonna say even people who who might be listening and be like, yeah, I don't know, I don't really buy it. Like, I'm I'm just not spiritual, right? Or like, that's not really my thing. It might be a language thing, which mm-hmm. is fine, granted. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like it doesn't even have to be a belief or a practice or a tradition. But like we all know, like getting together with friends over, you know, if it's your thing, like a few beers or a glass of wine or like, you know, those 10 p.m. kind of sunsets down, you know, at Second Beach or whatever, sitting there and the, it, the air is still warm and you're just like, the stars are coming out and the sky is that like pastel pink and blue and purple. And you're just like, it's a feeling that is, that is the moment. Like give me more. Yes. To all of that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Mm -hmm. the, yeah. If, if it's your thing, like the first time you ever hear like, you know, your child cry after being born, like that first gasp of air is just like, Oh my God. Like those high moments. And then again, just like the silent, meditation moments where you're just like breathing in and feeling life all of it sitting in traffic like if we are attuned to it every moment is rife with meaning and spirituality and fullness and can teach us Mm. and like Mm -hmm. that that's a beautiful way to live Mm -hmm. not like fear of am i doing it right or is god going to be mad at me if i step out of line am i going to get struck by lightning or we were watching this show. There's a show yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, I think it doesn't matter. There's a show on one of the streaming services, Yellow Jackets. Oh, yes. Have you seen yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it and it's th- coming back tonight. Oh, my I gosh. Think. Yeah, this one character, she's like so pious and she's always praying and it's like kind of like it's very a perfect. Stereotypical. Yeah. yeah. In some ways. Representation. But at the though. same time, yeah. like I've met those people. Yeah. But the, you know, spoiler alert, uh, if you're going to watch Yellow Jackets, Okay, just fast forward the next little bit, but no big spoilers, but they're, they're in a plane crash and they kind of get themselves all all sorted out. And, and this girl, I, I can't recall her name, but anyway, she's this like very religious Christian girl and she starts like crying almost inconsolably because it's her fault. It's her fault that the plane crashed because she, in her mind, called her piano teacher a nasty name, right? She like didn't even say it out loud. She just like, I said it in my mind. <laughs> and of course, all the girls around her start laughing you know, and then they start confessing why, what things they've done that would cause the plane to crash. But it's that kind of thinking that it, we laugh at it, but it persists that like, oh, if I'm a bad person, God will get me mm. for these things. And it's just, it's very, very, very wrong thinking. Yeah. From bad theology. Yes. Fear-driven theology. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, and, and it's still, that, you're right, it still exists. Like that element of like, um systems instilling, powerful systems instilling fear in people so that they have uh, no agency to think for themselves or have any critical thinking. 
Um, and that that is the one thing for me when I look at um, how the world and society operates. That's the one thing that I just wish more people would do is critically think. Yeah. Just think for yourself for a second. Does any of this make sense to you? Mm-hmm. And does it line up with your like lived experience? Mm-hmm. Not that we can't be surprised by new experiences. Mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. we should always be open to it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if we're thinking critically, mm-hmm. you need to you need to ask those questions. Yeah. Does this actually line up? Does this make sense? And 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 that's where like for me, you know, I, I got I would get frustrated in the religious circles because I'm like, have you not read it? Like, have you not paid attention? to the stories of this person that you like claim you believe in and like that you want to be like, cause I feel like if you have paid attention, even like halfway, you couldn't claim these, you couldn't say these things. You couldn't behave this way. Right. You couldn't be a gatekeeper and say, Oh, you're in and you're out. Mm. Cause like literally that is not, that is the antithesis of the thing. And yet here you are proclaiming, this is the thing, right? Mm. Like there are churches in this city, not far from where we are right now, (laughs) that would say like women aren't allowed to be in leadership because they're women. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Mm. Because the, and quite honestly, they say, well, they, they can, they can help with like children's ministry, like this very like paternalistic you know and and from almost like a patronize well you can help with like kids or like administration but you are not allowed to like stand in front of the the church and preach talk about jesus this you can't because there's this one line in a letter that was written to a specific group of people at a specific time that has been canonized which means put into the bible that Mm. said hey women of this church like just simmer down for a second we need to do this, right? And it was like contextual. I don't even know. Right. I don't even know what was going on. But it was bastardized over time. And then it was taken and said, "Well, because you know there was this church in Corinth mm. that had some issue where women were like speaking up and causing a problem. That this uh, this person Paul, the apostle Paul, wrote this letter saying, "Hey, over here, hang on, women don't speak in this church right now." Mm. I don't know if it was warranted. I don't know if it's not, but it's like, it's a historical record. It's like if I wrote you a letter, May, right? And said, hey, remember to bring my hat and scarf and oh, by the way, don't take Third Street because like maybe there's construction on Third Street, right? And I sent you that letter and then 2,000 years later, someone finds this letter and they're like, whoa, Dean said, don't take Third Street. So it's forbidden for anyone to ever take Third Street. And it's like, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> what? There was construction. It would have slowed her down. I said, don't take third street, take fourth. You're being kind. <laughs> yeah. And now, and now it's like taken so far out of context and it's like forbidden for anyone to ever take third street. And mm. it's like, not, not what was happening. So there are churches today that will take that kind of approach with a letter that was written to and for a specific people at a specific time in a specific place and apply it carte blanche. So in 2023, I believe well-meaning people do these things like oh because you're a woman and maybe you're really gifted but sorry wrong 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 gender so you says in here yeah you can't can't speak and the crazy thing is is that women were the first people to preach or proclaim the gospel the good news as it's called about jesus when he was 
the Easter story, right, or the, or the Passion story, is like he, he was executed by religious people and the state laid in this tomb and miraculously three days later rose, right? And now we have chocolate bunnies to like mm. remember it. <laughs> but the women were the ones that came to the tomb. And the women were the ones that were like, uh, where is he? Mm. And the women were the ones that ran and told the men and said, this thing has happened. And they were the ones who first saw the risen Christ, the ascended Jesus, who was like, hey, it's me. And they thought he was a gardener, right? They didn't even recognize at first what was going on. And then they saw, the women saw. And the women were the ones that bankrolled Jesus. And the women were the ones in the early church that like really funded and helped the movement spread. The women were the ones that did so much of it. And then today, the beneficiaries of that system are like, yeah, sorry, no women. It says mm. here. And I'm like, wow, pay attention. How did this happen? Pay attention. Mm. Wherever, wherever people are oppressed, wherever people are marginalized, that's where Jesus stood in the gap and was like, yo, none of this. And mm. I was like, and now you are standing there proclaiming to be this follower, this teacher of the way of Jesus, oppressing people. Do you not see the irony? Do you not see, like, this is laughable. You wonder why people don't come to your establishment? Because you're a hypocrite. Mm. People who don't even know or haven't read the stories of Jesus know that you don't act like a jackass and say you're Jesus. People are like, no, that's not how it works. I don't know much about Jesus, but he wasn't like you. Yeah, right? gosh, that's so frustrating. Yeah, yeah, it so must I be get, so. I get, I get fired off. Yeah, I, I no, all good. But I'm like, you can't, you can't Passion oppress people. Yeah, you can't yeah. oppress people and be like, I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm doing the thing. Well, it's going back to your, your um, passionate because you know one of your core tenets is social justice, yes. and this is, that's nothing, none of that, is social justice. Yeah, that kind of behavior. Exactly, and it's often under the guise of. Mm-hmm. We're, we're we're doing we're doing this work yeah and, and anyway i definitely want to explore a few things here um but the the core one being you know you were talking about how um no wonder why you no one's coming to your establishment and this change um from people choosing to belong to religion um and saying more people saying oh i'm spiritual but not religious but there seems to be kind of new quote-unquote religions. Like if I look at people out there, leaders, guides, people with knowledge that people are following, there seems to be like, um, yeah, what I would call these kinds of new religions, like um, let's say like science, the way that people are following Andrew Huberman in quote unquote religious ways. Um, And I think that's such an an interesting um, just topic to explore like what is religion to people now Mm. it shows up in many kinds of different forms it's a belonging it's a community and i would love to hear your thoughts on this yeah absolutely uh well i'm like i guess i'm part of the huberman religion (laughs) i'm a big fan of him me too (laughs) right the rich Um, roll religion the huberman religion yeah yeah well i think it speaks to our, our desire to belong which is like foundational, right? And, and in many ways, like that's the, regardless of what we might think of the mystical elements uh, or the, the foundational myths and stories of, of religion, one of the core functions and principles of it was just gathering people. We just need to be together. And I mean, the last couple of years have really showed that, right? When we couldn't be together, 
due due to the pandemic and all of that, like we it heightened the desire that we had as humans to connect. We all became acutely aware of like how much we needed each other, right? And I think like coming out of that, like the desire to connect and to be social and to share and um like that is huge. That's a fundamental human need. And so I think religion has tried to answer that question or has tried to meet that need. Um, and it's done so in some really beautiful ways, but it's also done so in ways that I think have been really harmful, right? Where uh, it, it, it shifted from something that was like a really good thing to being like, okay, now how, how do we keep this? This is really good. How do we keep it? And there was a desire to not be evolving and progressing, but to say, whoa, this is really good. Let's just, let's put some, again, like let's put some barriers around this, some boundaries so we can keep this thing the way it is. But the irony is like the nature of humanity and the nature of our our collective gathering is that it's going to always be changing and different because hello, like we are, we're always changing and different, right? And so anytime we get together, uh, whether there's one or two like core things that pull us together, um, it's going to look different after a year, two years, three years, certainly, you know, hundreds of years or thousands of years in the case of religion. And there are some things that should be central and remain, right? Those organizing principles, but the way that we live them out, I think is going to change. And so in this moment, in, in today, like you're absolutely right. People, I think, are 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 quick to say, at least, you know, in, in bubbles like ours, like, uh, oh, yeah, I'm deeply spiritual, but like not religious. And I think it's an important differentiation that people make for themselves um, because maybe they've had a really bad experience with religion. Like I know so many people who've had terrible experiences with the church. And, you know, I always, whenever I can, like offer an apology because usually um, those experiences, those hard experiences that people have had in churches um, should never have happened. Right. And so when I was more active in like leading faith communities and stuff, I would always apologize on behalf of the thing that I'm like, you know, representing to Mm. say that that should never have happened to you. Right. You should have never been told to leave or said you weren't good enough or whatever it was. Right. Um, Because people are looking to belong and looking to connect. And and I think that religion has an opportunity to do that, but has failed. It's failed to keep up and not just in fickle ways, but in meaningful ways of like, how do we meet people where they are as humans in 2023 with all of the complexities of our world and curiosities of who we are and who we are becoming? How can we introduce these practices and principles that in truth are ancient, but are very applicable to our modern society? And I see it in the the modern, quote unquote, modern science that like Huberman is presenting and stuff. Like a lot of these things are, are it's just old. It's old wisdom. Things that we've always known. Just presented in, in new ways. Presented in new ways. And we have like new electrodes. new forms, yeah. obvious podcast, podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, we, and we have like electrodes that we can hook up to people to prove that meditation mm. works. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. like, you know, Buddhist monks, the Dalai Lama, like going all the way back would be like, I could, I've been saying like we've been saying that for centuries, but now because you can study it with brain waves because we've evolved in other ways, now you'll believe it. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> cool. Welcome to the club, right? right it yeah. doesn't change the fact that it's 
always been good for you. It's always been helping us like move towards enlightenment or whatever end goal we're looking for. But now we can verify it and, you know, uh, someone can talk about it with a, with a peer reviewed double blind study that proves meditation is good for you Which or I breath work is good for you. It's so funny because, you know, yeah, monks have been meditating for so, so long. Like, why do you need a verification other than the way that they moved through life? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. saw the world and um we're just you know not that you know, i mean blanket stating stating this but you know that they were just good humans yeah right but you know but we we, know, we need that yeah, <laughs> we yeah. really need that <laughs> i mean we check mark from <laughs> a scientist <laughs> exactly and that's just part of our modern world and yeah. it's fine but yeah. that's where i love there's room for all Absolutely. i mean it's still fascinating yeah tell me about brainwaves yeah i want to know yeah because it's, it's just cool that we've come to a place where we can know it in like the heart knowledge like oh i just know this is good for me and then also someone can come along and be like here here's how we can prove it yeah. Right. And so like, it's like what your body is doing yeah. in conjunction with this. It's so good. Which is mind blowing. Yeah. It's like, wow, cool. Like yeah. that's what our brainwaves are doing when we reach the, when, when we're in a state of pure, like conscious meditation and my brain is in the gamma brainwave state. That's what's happening. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Right? Okay. Whereas like, you don't have to know about gamma brainwaves to experience how yes, good that yes. is. Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like we all know like a good night of sleep feels good. And then we can look at our devices and be like, oh yeah, no, that I did get a good night of sleep. <laughs> but like pre-devices, we would just wake up and be like, oh, uh, I feel so refreshed. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, right? But I also love like, so oftentimes people, I've people have asked me before like, oh, so are you like anti-science or like, you know, if you're religious, what, are you skeptical? And you're I'm, so not. <laughs> no, I, I feel like it's hand in glove. Like mm. the more, I remember watching, um, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's The Cosmos. Yeah, I remember watching that, and you know, my wife walked in. She's like, "What are you watching?" I was like, I, "I'm not sure," because I like just caught yeah. it midstream, like on TV. Which who watches TV anymore? Yeah, but it was on on TV, and I was like, "I'm not exactly sure." I'm pretty sure he's trying to like disprove religion, but I absolutely love it. It's it's like making me have more awe. Yeah. for the story of like faith. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's talk about Neil for a second. Um, he has a wonderful book called Letters to uh, Letters to an Astrophysicist, mm. and for as much as he is science based, he is also a philosopher. Yeah. Because the answers that he has to these letters to him about the cosmos and humans is he's he's got a philosopher's heart too. Oh yeah. Well, we forget that science is a belief system. We forget that, right? I mean, I would stop short of calling it a religion, but if you break it down in a scientific way to its simplest elements, it's kind of the same thing, right? The foundational myth of science is that there was a big bang. And if you ask any scientist worth her weight, she would say, well, that's what we think. We don't know for sure. And yet it's presented as like a, well, we know for sure. Mm. Just like some Christian people would say, well, God created the earth in seven literal days. And you're like, really? Yes, we know for sure. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> right? And neither, neither origin story we can verify as, yeah, this is exactly how it happened. Neither one. No one was there. No one was there. And so we, we know there were these elements and we know that there was some sort of event and that that the universe is still expanding 
and it's still moving out and you know things are just like becoming more and more complex and more and more related uh anyone who's tracking there's a great video by uh, a speaker podcaster guy named rob bell it's called everything spiritual you can watch it on youtube and he he kind of does the story of like the beginning of the universe and how it's just like ever expanding and getting more interesting and more complex and how it is both the story of science and faith. It's absolutely brilliant. It's so good. Mm. It's worth watching. Um, but that's just the thing is like science, science can prove a lot more empirically along the way, but it's still like a belief system in this, in the way that like religion is. And that doesn't, undercut it that doesn't make it any less important or any less interesting but like it's the same it's fundamentally it's a belief it's, system it's symbiosis between yeah <laughs> the art and science yeah. of things the spirituality the science of things and i think we need it all like i we need it all the more i learn about like quantum physics the more my mind is just like melts right doesn't it melt and you're just like what and it makes no sense and it's honestly like it's mystical it's it's literally in the truest sense of the word awe inspiring and i just feel like this is you have there's an element of faith that you have to believe what the quantum physicists are saying because it's unbelievable mm-hmm. and they're like we don't know how this is working but it works we keep doing it it keeps working but we don't know how mm-hmm. i'm like that is wild it's so exciting yes it, and that's that wonder it's like yes. wow okay Okay, yes. Yeah. Why why isn't there not room for that too? Yeah. Mm. There should always be more room mm. for wonder. Mm. Yeah. I'd love to go back. I'm just thinking of your um your history and your education and you know, you went to to Quantlin, you know, thinking that uh you know, you wanted to do one thing and then you ended up in history and um then you went to UBC and you took um African American history and I think that and then got your teaching certificate I feel that that is such an um, interesting pathway um, what brought you to wanting to study that and be immersed in in that history yeah yeah I think uh going it's like winding winding back to you know my kind of social justice heart and like wanting to learn more about movements of equality and civil movements that that changed and are changing the course of history. Like there's still a lot of work to be done in our world for people of color, marginalized communities. Um, and I felt a responsibility, I think also as like a white person to learn and to understand like how people who looked like me um, operated in a world and created a world with a lot of injustice and, uh, so yeah, maybe maybe it was like a two parts curiosity, one part like feeling the responsibility, the weight of like I need to learn to make the world a better place, and just that desire to to be an ally, to come alongside and say where can I lend like whatever privilege, whatever power I have, like how can I utilize that for the best possible good for all? Mm. And so yeah, signed up for a bunch of courses. Uh, some Canadian, some Canadian history, which focused a lot on our indigenous communities. Um, now, like going back, I think UBC, there'd be incredible courses that you could take uh, along those, along those lines, uh, just because there's so much more content being created, which I think is brilliant. Um, but yeah, the African-American history really just appealed to me because it was stories 
that were unbelievable. Like, how could we do this as humanity, right? And learning that, that again, like people used religion and the religion that like I was part of to justify a lot of the horrific things that were done, like not that long ago, that was part of it. So there's a whole, there's a whole, a confluence of streams that kind of like made me want to lean into that. Um, yeah, and had some brilliant professors that mm. really, I think, didn't just teach me information, but like taught me how to think, mm. taught me how to learn and like ask really hard, important questions and then ask the all important follow-up of like, okay, now that I know, like, what do I do? Mm. My question for you and, you know, so many of us um, curious people and podcasters always want to be like, well, what did you learn from that? But my question to you is what do you feel, and it can be in context to, to this, what we're talking about right now or anything, what are you unlearning right now? That's a good question. I feel like, I feel like right now, uh, I'm like unlearning who I, I'm trying to figure out how I can phrase this the best, like who I was, or perhaps like the more positive spin is like, I'm, I'm learning who I am still becoming. Mm. And part of, part of that, why, why that question of like, what have I, what have I unlearned is like, uh, brought me onto that is because I feel like a lot of my identity was wrapped up in some key pieces of like who I was right pastor church like planter kind of like it's like an entrepreneur starting a church um and now I'm like moving away from those things not because of any major shift in who I am but just partly like reality partly coming out of the pandemic and like how that interrupted our flow as like a small community meeting at homes around meals and then my own capacity and energy for like restarting something like that I feel like I'm I'm kind of stepping into this next phase of like who I am uh and it's very new like mm. I'm it's uncertain yeah there's an identity death yeah yeah and so I think that part of it is like what do I what do I need to carry forward right and what are some things that that were really really good things that I can I can put down and say like, uh, in like a very Marie Kondo way like thank you, but like I no longer need this, mm. and so I'm still figuring that out. I still feel like I'm holding everything, and I'm reluctant to like let some things go, but I feel like some things I need to let go. Mm. So I don't know if I have a good answer for. I, I'm still in process mm. of like unlearning. And of course, like the big ones are, you know, just continually reevaluating my space in the world and like how I show up and how I can just be better, like yeah. be better as a, as a friend, as a partner, as a dad, as a teacher, uh, someone who has a podcast and platform, like how can we continually be better versions of, of ourselves mm. from last year, from two years ago, from last month, <laughs> Right. And this reminds me of something that um, you had said in our last conversation about um, even just your relationship with, with running now. Like you've always identified yourself as a runner, um, but that you're an, on a break. I don't know if you're still on a break yeah, yeah. Uh, at, uh, <laughs> at the moment, but you know, you're following the seasons of your, your body and, yes. um, and your body is saying, 
not a runner right now. And you're, from what I remember you saying, you're in acceptance of that. And you found something else that's making you feel good, like strength training. Yeah. And there's that acceptance that, you know, um, maybe you don't have like a typical runner's body. Yeah. Uh, So that's really interesting that you're going through like this really holistic unlearning process of an identity death of who you were. Yeah. Yeah. And are becoming. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And it's like a, it's, it's, it's a good, like, it's a good thing. Right. And again, I think that's part of how I'm wired, like moving towards something new and different is more exciting and intriguing than it is like scary or like lamentful of like, Oh, what? but I used to be, and yeah, so the whole running thing, like that was my, that was who I was. Like I was a Lululemon ambassador for running. Right. And so it was an amazing opportunity and like, you know, uh, loved every moment of it really. Uh, but then it was like, you had, like, that's who I was. I had to be that. And so literally a year ago, like this spring, I like, I injured my, my calf running, uh, and then it got better and I ran a race and then like, then it felt all right. I was like, okay, I'm back. And then that was on a Sunday. And then on the Wednesday, I went for a run with our run crew in Steveson and like my hamstring just exploded. Like it was just, oh, it was brutal. And it took so long for it to get better. And I kept trying to run. I kept trying to run and I would like get a kilometer in and then it would just like hurt so bad. And Your body's like, like no, yeah. you're forcing something right now. Totally. And so then I just like relented and was like, fine, I like won't run, but I'm so active. Like I need, I need like a physical outlet in my life or I will like go crazy. And that was like running, right? It was like my peace, my quiet time. Like that's where I process so much stuff. And so I was like, what am I going to do? So I, I started just like working out. We have like a gym in our building and it's like pretty decent. So I started working out there and like rowing and, you know, I could do lots of stuff. Then it didn't cause me any pain, but I couldn't run. So I like started to shift. And then I just, my body started feeling so good. I was like, wait, like maybe I want to lean into this. And I just haven't really looked back. Like I've run a couple times and I still love it. I still do love that as a modality, but it's not the same. Like it's not the same as what I, as I, how I used to think about it. I used Mm. to think like I needed this, like this was my thing. This was who I was, Dean the runner. Right. And now I'm like, no, you know, I'm just Dean. I'm yeah. (laughs) And it's interesting. Like, uh, I, I, I'm a bigger guy and I always was aware of that as a runner. And, you know, you're looking at Instagram and following people who are runners because that's what you do, right? Following on Strava, different people's activities. And I was always comparing myself to these people who were like, uh, we're all, I think we are all natural runners. We can all run. But for some people, it's easier because of your build, right? You might be slight, maybe taller, longer limbs, whatever. Some people, and those are the people who like become Olympians, right? (laughs) They are just naturally gifted in a way to run far and fast that others of us aren't. But I fully believe that everyone was like born to be able to run. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but anyway, in chasing that aesthetic, it like kind of messed with me in terms of like my own body image and always feeling like I'm too big. I'm like too heavy. I'm too big of like a runner. And it was like muscle. Like I'm like a big dude. Right. And so I just look at myself and be like, oh, I'm too thick. Like I need to get leaner and leaner and leaner and leaner. Um, and I would always feel kind of bad about the way I looked because I was too big to be a runner. 
And then when I started shifting away from running and moving into more like strength training and stuff and like, you know, inevitably started following people online for like different workouts and different things. And I started seeing these people who looked a lot more like me, like broad (laughs) shoulders and like thick legs and big bodies. And I was like, these are my people, you know, this is where I belong. And it just kind of like, it was really interesting. My body really didn't change that much, but my perception of myself changed a great deal in terms of like, oh, I just like felt better in my body because I was thinking of myself more in this lens than like this slight runner. And I, I think I wasn't even fully aware of like how much, how damaging that was to me, mm-hmm. you know, when I tried to, when I was constantly perceiving myself as a runner and not being like that ideal runner's shape. So it's been, that's been, that's been like a learning journey is to that I'm embracing, I'm embracing my thickness. Well, <laughs> thick. <laughs> um, but I was just going to say, it sounds like just more acceptance of who you actually are. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Which is good, which is always good, mm-hmm. right? Because then you just feel more you. You feel like, oh, yeah, this is who I am. This mm-hmm. is who I am. And I can be both. Like, I, you know, when I get out and run now, like, I still love it. And I know that I'm not going to be as fast because I'm way, I'm way heavier now. Yeah. But I'm, like, stronger. And You're that stronger. feels good. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't care if I can't run as fast or as far. Like, I know that this is good for my body. And you can enjoy it more too. Totally. Cause you're not worried about that other shit. Yeah. I don't run with a watch anymore. Like, you know, Strava is a big thing in the running community, like track your runs and pace and data and analytics. And I just like get out there and, and go because I just enjoy it. Right. Mm. And it's so, it's totally different. Mm. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I said, I said to you on the phone, I was like, cause you're like, well, let's talk about you as a runner. I'm like, actually we're on a break right now. <laughs> Me and running. We're on a bit of a break. It's okay. It's mutual. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this is conscious uncoupling yes. of you as a runner. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I just have a couple more questions, two more sure. for you. Um, I was just thinking about the way that you hold space with, you know, acceptance and radical love. And I just want to know what does holding space mean to you? I think for me, uh, I immediately think of the physical, like in my mind, I picture it as, as physical, partly because I am, you know, it's like bigger physical body. And I just think of like a huddle around someone and maybe it's a lot of well-meaning people who are wanting to help. Like in my mind, I see like someone's, someone's on the floor, they're like crouching down and maybe they're injured or they're just whatever. And people are crowding around to help or to check in or to see. And I see myself as someone who's like backing the crowd off, you know, that's like the, and I feel like it's sacred work is to say, wait, 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 wait. Like, let's check in with what they need. If it's help, where are the helpers? Let's help. Kind of like directing traffic a little bit, but also like creating that space for breath, creating that space for uh, that person to say like more space or come in or you know what whatever they need, but m- checking in with them first, saying like what what do you need? And I I literally see myself as like 
holding the crowd back, just saying like, let's like wait. And yeah, that's, that's mm. what, I think that's what it means to me. Mm. I love that. Well, you are a very good space holder. Thank and I you. hope that you continue to do this in yeah. all kinds of ways, whatever that looks like in this, um, yeah, next evolved version of you yeah. that I see emerging. Um, and my last question that I ask everyone, with what you do, the work you do, just who you are, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Mm. I actually think about this question kind of a lot, uh, phrased in the context of like, not building a resume, but like, what, what will my eulogy be? You know, I like to think about death. I think it's important. We don't think about death enough. So when I'm, when I'm gone, what is it that I want people to like remember or say, you know? And I think we often think of like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do that people are going to remember us by? Are we going to do some great, event or have a really good podcast or are you going to do something really cool for charity and we you know I thought a lot of times like what is it that I'm going to do in this world that will make a difference and then I realized I could give a shit about the things that I do doesn't matter because there's always going to be a better event better podcast, a better speaker, a better contribution to some charity. But what I really am living for is how will I make people feel? Because I think more than anything that you can do, people will remember how you made them feel. And so that is like my chief aim in life is that like regardless of who you are or what you've done or where you come from, like I want you, whoever I'm with, I want you to feel like I have impacted you in a positive way that because you got to know me or like rubbed shoulders with me at some party or in a meaningful way, whatever it might be, we work together, we did something together. I want you to know, like, I want you to feel like, man, that person really, he really cared about me. He saw me, he made me feel important, validated, heard, seen, loved. Um, that's, yeah, if I can do anything, that's what I want to do. Like every, every day, every moment is to make people feel good. Mm. Make people feel important. Make people feel seen and loved. Mm. And you do. I'm all misty-eyed. <laughs> Me too. I'm a softie. <laughs> Me too. I'm such that's a why, softie. That's why I was never a good jock because I would have always listened to music and I'd be like, oh, man, this bridge, <laughs> like that lyric is so good. People are like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> You're like, you just need to make that three-point shot, okay? Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. Dean, thank you. Thank you for coming in here and sharing your story and your vulnerability and your passions. I feel super grateful that I've met you and that we've had a chance to become friends yeah. and collaborators and just be a part of one another's lives. And I just can't wait to see what's next for you. Yeah. I feel so excited and expansive in my heart for you. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you, May. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate it too. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and to, you have such great thoughtful questions.
that have helped me even just like think about my own life in, in ways that are, are new or important to revisit. And so I'm so grateful for you and the, the connection and the friendship. Oh, so much love. Yes. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, probably the best place is the old Instagram at Diener. I got one of those old OG handles. <laughs> so yeah, you can just reach out to me there or through uh, the pod a little more good. We're always we're always on both those social channels. So however, however people want to connect or reach out, always, and always open to chat. Definitely connect with Dean. Definitely check out a little more good. They have great conversations too. And um, just love you. Big, big love. Yes. Thank same, you. Same. Thanks, May. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for the show are by Andrew and Jaba Gaspis. All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon.